Newcrest Mining agrees to a $26 billion bid from US-based Newmont, creating the world's largest gold miner. The ATO gives its list of what it's looking for this tax time, and the wealth of the founders of Google soars as the search engine embraces AI. It's Tuesday, the 16th of May, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, and good morning, Sean Aylmer. Morning, Michael. Sean, your interview after the show today is with Dr. Kay Patterson-Ao, who is uh, the Age Discrimination Commissioner for the Australian Human Rights Commission. This is a really interesting chat. She is a great advocate for older Australians. This chat is all about hiring older Australians, what they bring to the workforce, not just experience, but plenty more as well. We talk a bit about age discrimination generally, so discriminating against younger workers as well, and what companies and workplaces need to do to encourage more aged workers. Of course, very, very important that we get more and more people into the workforce because with an unemployment rate of 3.5% or thereabouts, we need as many people as we can. Yes, indeed. It is a great interview. It's coming up a little bit later on. But the main story this morning, Sean, the board of Newcrest Mining, Australia's largest gold digger, has accepted a $26.2 billion bid from North American giant Newmont five weeks after the bid was made. Newmont improved the script offer to value Newcrest shares at $29.29 each. That's up from the original implied offer of $27.16 each. Now, it sent Newcrest share price up more than 1% yesterday to $28.64, so there's still a little bit between the bid price, $29.29, and what it's trading at, $28.64, which suggests there's still a few regulatory hurdles to overcome. Mind you, Newcrest share price is about twice what it was trading at last September. Back then, the price of gold was less than $1,700 US an ounce. Currently, it's more than $2,000 US an ounce. Newmont will extend its lead as the world's biggest miner, and boss Tom Palmer says after the deal, the company will have 10 Tier 1 assets. Now, two of those are Newcrest Cadia Mine in central west New South Wales, and it's Papua New Guinea Lihi Gold Operations. What's a Tier 1 asset? I'm, I'm assuming that's just based on the, the size and the output? It is, but it's a little bit more than that because in mining nowadays, when they talk about Tier 1 assets, they talk about the future of that asset, obviously, but it, whether it's green or not, for example. So, you know, its ability oh. to extract the output in a more environmentally friendly way, for example. So it's a little bit more than output and you know, gold seams and things like that nowadays. Okay, good. That makes sense. There's, of course, Michael, there's plenty of history between these two companies. Newmont spun off its Australian assets into a separate company back in 1966. It then listed Newmont Australia in 1987. It acquired Australmin and then eventually merged with BHP Gold back in 1991. That created Newcrest Mining. And another interesting one, the Newmont boss, this is a Denver-based company, the Newmont boss, Tom Palmer, was actually born in Broken Hill in a mining family. There you go. That is fantastic. Yeah, it is cool. Oh, he's one of ours. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sean, we love a deal frenzy on fear and greed, and it doesn't take much for us to declare a deal frenzy, but mm. I'd say this this easily qualifies because this is the biggest deal of the year so far, right? Yes, and a frenzy means there's a bunch of deals. Now, later in the show, there were other deals yesterday, so I think yesterday was the deal frenzy day. Oh, particularly since this is the biggest deal of the year. It's the biggest one since Block bought Afterpay 
for nearly 27 billion US dollars. That's the all-time biggest deal in Australia. The other big tie-up last year was BHP's divestment of its oil and gas business, the Woodside Petroleum. That one was worth almost $14 billion, which of course is less than the Newcrest deal. Now, until yesterday, the biggest deal of the year, and it's still going through shareholder and regulatory approvals, is Brookfield's $18.7 billion takeover of Origin Energy. Last week, we had the $10.6 billion merger between Livent and Alcom. They're the lithium miners. We also had BHP buying Oz Minerals for almost $10 billion a few weeks back. <sighs> Clearly, deal making is a pretty good business at the moment, Michael. Deal frenzy. Deal frenzy. I can't wait for the rest of the show, Sean. I love a deal frenzy. <laughs> Local share market yesterday, how did it perform? The S&P ASX 200 finished the day up just a touch, 0.1% to 7,267 points. It was a rough day for the financials, while the real estate stocks did best. Both ANZ and Macquarie went ex-dividend yesterday, which, of course, Michael, you listen to me all the time, so you know this already. But it basically means if you bought shares in those companies yesterday, you won't have received the upcoming <laughs> dividend. I love the scepticism in your voice. I'm just like, you're a bit of a cynic, aren't you, Sean? You're just like, you don't really listen. I do listen. And you know what? Next time, next time companies go ex-dividend, I want you to ask me to give the definition. Deal. That's good. I'm going to find a company that's going ex-dividend so I can ask you. And just spring it on me. That's right. <laughs> Please do. I look forward to that. When those companies do go ex-dividend, their share prices fall, of course, because you're not going to get that dividend. So ANZ was down 4% yesterday. Macquarie was down 2.1%. Otherwise, the banks were mostly lower. The big iron oil miners did well. Worse than the day was the elders. Definitely worth a mention. This one, its share price fell 13% after it released its half-year results for the six months to the end of March. Revenue was up 9%, but pre-tax earnings fell 38%. Basically, the bottom line was hit by weaker crop input prices, so sales of stuff like fertiliser was lower, poor weather, that didn't help, and there was also lower livestock prices. Boss Mark Allison also attributed the slide in the share price to poor sentiment, more generally, around agricultural stocks. All right. What happened on international markets? Well, oil prices are down again. That's four sessions in a row. Gold is up a bit and the Aussie dollar is trading around 66.8 US cents. But Michael, yesterday we had a chat about coffee beans, robusta coffee beans, yeah, the cheap ones. Mm -hmm. And we discussed how it was kind of interesting sometimes to look at different commodities in their prices. And then I was having a look today, lumber prices. Don't you love lumber prices, planks of wood? That sort of stuff. I think I do. Please mm. tell me tell me why I'm so fascinated by this. Because the the price of lumber has fallen to its lowest level since May 2020. <gasps> there you go. As they're falling, you can hear someone going, Timber. <laughs> when a tree falls in a forest. <sighs> now, why are prices down? Well, basically, it's a reaction to expectations of a recession in the US economy and subsequent slowdown in construction. Lumber is trading at 350 US dollars per thousand feet. Is that not a great metric? <laughs> yes, it is actually. Lumber is fascinating. And, and I would have thought that surely this means kind of good news for people like you doing home renovations, Sean. 
Yeah, no, I, I picked the peak of lumber prices. Thanks very much. <laughs> of course you do. You have this gift, don't you? For just yes. if you if there is a peak, if you if there is a like a, a fuel price peak, that's the time then you'll go for a road trip. If there's totally. a lumber price peak, that's the time you'll start on your home renovations. Kind of even, I suppose you would develop a coffee addiction right when coffee prices are peaking as well. That's right. Like two years ago, lumber prices were five times what they are today. Two years ago is when we decided to renovate. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> now, now, to be honest, we didn't sign our contract for a little while after that. But we may not have got the peak, but we certainly got it when the lumber prices were up there. This is the best illustration of why this is not an investment podcast. Because, yeah. <laughs> because if anyone was looking to you for advice on trying yep. to time the market, uh-uh. Mm-mm. Not good. Not good. Anyway, just to wrap this up, you know, you would think it would be uh, tough times for lumberjacks with prices about 20% of what they were two years ago. In actual fact, prices now are normal. They're kind of back to pre-COVID level. So don't feel sorry for all those timber companies out there. Feel sorry for people like me that signed up 12 months ago or 18 months ago when lumber was five times as high. <laughs> oh, well done. Well played, Sean. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, Australia is well behind the pace on achieving Labor's target of hitting 82% renewables in the power grid by 2030, the nation's Green Bank has warned. Clean Energy Finance Corporation Chief Executive Ian Learmont yesterday said in order to meet the ambitious goals around renewable energy and emissions, Australia needs to install an estimated 29 gigawatts of large-scale renewables. Last year... Australia installed just 2.3 gigawatts of large-scale wind and solar and also another 2.7 gigawatts of solar rooftops. From now on, we need about 3.6 gigawatts a year. That's about one substantial wind farm every month. That's according to a report in The Australian. Just on the same topic, Michael, Federal Energy Minister Chris Bowen yesterday said nuclear power is not an option for Australia given social licence issues and high costs compared to solar and wind. Opposition leader Peter Dutton had said Australia should consider small modular nuclear power plants as part of the energy mix. Bowen also conceded that a $20 billion plan to rebuild Australia's electricity transmission network faces worker shortages and challenges getting farmers and landowners on side. I reckon we're going to hear lots about the transmission network and the fact that it's not built for purpose when it comes to renewables at least, probably over the next 10 years or so. All right. Now, Sean, we're heading into tax time, of course, and the ATO has warned it will be taking a close look at rental property investors after finding the majority of them are filing incorrect tax returns. Or as the ATO likes to put it, common mistakes in tax returns. Mm. I like that. Yes, the mistakes is definitely kind of inverted commas, isn't it? That's right. The tax office said nine in 10 income tax returns are actually wrong amid that cohort. It might be rental income being left out or mistakes being made with property-related deductions like overclaiming expenses was the example the tax office used. It also seems that people are taking out a loan for their investment property and then using some of it to jet off to Bali for a holiday, for example. And what the tax office is saying is that you can actually you claim an interest reduction on that loan, but if you know you've taken out a loan for five hundred thousand dollars and you spent fifty thousand dollars on a holiday and four hundred fifty thousand dollars in a house, you only get the tax deduction on the interest payments on the four hundred fifty thousand dollars, not the fifty thousand hmm. dollars. 
There you go. Tax officer also warned on work-related expenses. Don't just copy and paste last year's tax return. That's what they said. Uh, work out what you can deduct legally and actually do that. Also, the ATO will take a closer look at capital gains tax, whether you've declared earnings from the sale of assets like shares, crypto, property, things like that. Goodness me. To me, it just seems like a very good argument for getting some professional help with your tax. Absolutely. Well, the funny thing is that in the case of the property investors, the vast majority actually use a tax agent, yet still nine in 10 are filing incorrectly. Oh, dear. Hmm. All right. Now, Telstra will push up mobile broadband prices by 7% following its decision last fortnight to increase the cost of prepaid plans. Australia's biggest telco said it's in response to rising costs and the increase is in line with inflation. Telstra will lift the data included in its basic postpaid plan from 40 gigabits to 50 gigabits per month and the price will jump from $58 to $62. Now, the essential tier, that's the mid group, it's no change in its data allowance, but the cost will go from $68 per month to $72. That plan allows 180 gigabits per month. The premium plan will rise from $89 to $95 per month. It will still include 300 gigabits of data. Now, Sean, you mentioned on the weekend when we were talking on the weekend edition about the PwC tax leaks scandal that there was going to be plenty more still to come. You picked it as a bit of a sleeper story that had a long way to play out. Now, the boss of the firm in Australia, Tom Seymour, is to retire at the end of September, while former Telstra boss Ziggy Swatowski is going to lead an independent review into what happened. Dr. Swatowski will examine all aspects of the firm's governance, accountability and culture and report back to the big four consulting firm by September. The company has pledged to make a summary of his key recommendations public. The Financial Review is reporting that the firm's leadership is prepared to ask more partners to retire over the tax leaks. Now, remember, this saga became public in January when the Fin Review revealed that the Tax Practitioners Board, which regulates the country's tax agents, had terminated the registration of former PwC tax partner Peter Collins for sharing confidential information about the government's tax plans with other partners and staff. Emails published in the Senate earlier this month showed that PwC charged $2.5 million in fees to advise 14 clients how to sidestep new tax avoidance laws back in 2016, and they were relying on the confidential Treasury information that had been leaked. Last week, Mr Seymour and two other leaders stepped down from their respective leadership roles at the firm. Now, Mr Seymour will leave the company. Okay, now, Sean, you made me wait a while for this one, the deal frenzy, because the big deal between the gold miners certainly wasn't the only M&A activity yesterday, although, of course, it was the big one. But we had private equity group TPG upping its offer for InvoCare, Australia's largest funerals group. Following the new $1.9 billion bid, the board of InvoCare agreed to open its books to TPG for due diligence. The board also said it will recommend the offer to shareholders, assuming an independent expert's report backs it, and there's no superior offer. Given TPG owns 19.98% of the stock, Michael, it's likely the deal will be done. The share price of InvoCare, which owns brands White Lady Funerals, Simplicity Funerals, among others, jumped 12% yesterday. And another one, Aristocrat Leisure will buy a NASDAQ-listed gaming software company for $1.5 billion. The purchase of Neo Games will give Aristocrat a foothold in the fast-growing US online gaming market. Neo Games runs technology services, a business aggregator, 
and a sportsbook solution. It's got about 1,100 staff, operates across more than 50 regulated markets. Aristocrat Chief Executive Trevor Croker said the deal would accelerate Aristocrat's growth in the real money gambling sector in the US. That's worth about 81 billion US dollars. It's a part of the gaming industry that involves online casinos, lotteries, and sports betting. The group's share price closed up 2% yesterday. And just quickly before we leave the gaming sector, Michael, PointsBet has agreed to sell its US operations to global sports giant Fanatics, F-A-N-A-T-I-C-S, Fanatics, great name, for $225 million. SportsBet's share price tumbled 21% on the news. Basically, the group's conceded it can't compete in the US any longer. Oh, okay. Sean, one last one before we move to international news. In Victoria, the Liberal opposition says it's open to supporting a package of tax reforms to drop $10 billion in upfront stamp duty. Now, I don't know if it's a sleeper story, but stamp duty, I reckon, this year. By the end of this year, all sorts of changes around stamp duty, I think. So the Victorian Department of Treasury and Finance has been examining options to overhaul the Victorian tax system as part of a housing affordability package to cut the upfront cost of buying a home, allowing buyers to switch to the option of paying annual land taxes rather than a stamp duty is expected to get a run or at least be part of the suggestions from the department. The system is operating in New South Wales, though actually Chris Min's new government the Labor government wants to change it somewhat so that only first home buyers purchasing houses up to $800,000 will receive the option of opting into land tax. Victoria is looking at it. Other states will probably do so. It would certainly help first home buyers and, in fact, anyone getting into housing not have to save as much for upfront fees. So we'll see how that goes. We will keep an eye on that one. Maybe a sleeper story, as you say, Sean. Maybe. International news time. Uh, there were two significant elections over the weekend, one for the president of Turkey and the other for the prime minister of Thailand. Turkey is heading for a runoff vote after the counting shows that President Erdogan, who has spent 20 years in power, has a lead of more than 2 million votes. But that's not enough to avoid a second round on May 28. He has about 49.3% of the vote. He needs 50% of the vote. If he doesn't get that, and that's unlikely, it pits him one-on-one against his main rival who has the backing of the nation's broadest ever grouping of opposition parties. That makes it very, very interesting. In Thailand, pro-democracy parties have notched a strong victory, setting up the biggest challenge to the royalist-backed establishment since the military seized power in a coup nearly 10 years ago. 99% of the votes counted the Move Forward Party, which advocates changing laws that restricts criticism of Thailand's powerful monarchy, lead both in total seats and popular votes. However, whether the party provides a prime minister depends very much on the vote of the military. The military gets to appoint 250 senators who have a vote, and that may scuttle the effort of move forward to provide the prime minister. All right, last one. We mentioned this one at the top of the show, Sean. The wealth of the two co-founders of Google, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, jumped about nine billion US dollars each over the weekend. That's not that's not a bad weekend. After Google said it will start experimenting with a more conversational search engine. I must say, in the world of Elon Musk and Donald Trump, I'd almost forgotten about Mrs. Page and Brin. We just don't hear hear about them anymore, As far as billionaires go, they're fairly kind of low-key. Uh, they are. I mean, Larry's worth, what, $107 billion? Sergey's worth about $102 billion, according to Bloomberg's Billionaires Index. But really, what do they tweet? <laughs> 
<laughs> Nothing as interesting as Elon. <laughs> Nowhere near the drama with those two. Nah. Anyway, last week Google said it wants to make its AI-powered chatbot available more broadly. That sent its share price up nearly 10%. Now, Google's pushing into the artificial intelligence space more gradually than others, such as Microsoft's Bing. It sort of insulates the group from some ethical concerns uh, and shareholders like that. Now, Paige and Bryn, who are helping with the AI push and more involved with the company than in recent years, have now become the eighth and ninth richest people in the world. Maybe we should talk about Larry and Sergey a little more. I suspect we might. And actually, it's worth mentioning as well, Sean, that if you're interested in hearing more about kind of AI and the impact on investing, it's worth having a listen to yesterday's interview with Chris Brikey from Stockspot because it was a really good chat about all of that space. And Chris is a fantastic kind of communicator about the world of investing. But today's interview is a good one as well. Kay Patterson, AO, the Age Discrimination Commissioner for the Australian Human Rights Commission. And a former politician, a lovely person, and very relaxed about life. We've got to give that to Kay. She is a great advocate for older workers, and that's what we're talking about and what they can add to the workforce. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Tuesday, the 16th of May, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast. Join us online on LinkedIn, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and stay up to date on all the business news with Alexa and your Amazon Echo smart speaker. Simply say, Alexa, play the Fear and Greed podcast to catch the latest episode. You can grab yours now at amazon.com.au. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day. Hold up. 